Welcome to the Lava Wall Podcast. This is episode six, Family of Light Band, part one, Spear of an Arrow. So I'm adding this uh, little vocal segment I'm doing right now uh, about a month after this podcast was originally released. Uh, I put it out sometime in January 2021, um, and I kind of had some issues with uh, Family of Light. Um, They didn't think I told the story right all the way, and uh, I kind of made it seem like I wrote a lot of the music, um, which, I mean, I did do a lot, but I mean, I didn't intentionally... Uh, mean to make it sound like I did everything. I, it just kind of came across that way. Um, but yeah, I didn't uh, mean for that. And um, originally when I recorded these four part uh, episodes, I was coming from a place of anger uh, from the way the band ended uh, or, you know, how it i left it and um we hadn't talked since i quit the band and after uh these episodes were released and we had this whole kind of copyright infringement thing that happened um we had a group conversation and we are all on good terms again so yeah it's uh it's good um that that happened and we're all you know friends again so you know it's always good it's good to have happy endings so um so yeah i i basically am taking out a lot of the kind of negative things i said and trying to keep these episodes positive so this re-edit um of these episodes are just basically to set the record straight um i mean if you heard the original episodes it's um it's basically gonna be a kind of new episode for you but if you've never heard those then this is kind of pointless <laughs> for me to tell you but um but yeah it's uh it's just something that happened and i wanted to let you guys know before uh this episode gets started so on these episodes um i'm basically just gonna leave it how it was for the most part um even with the flaws that i might have said about um the past and you know my memory might might have been off on some things but um i'm going to invite the band on and in uh, i'm going to probably do another four part uh episodes um just with a group conversation with family of light to kind of correct anything i might have said wrong throughout the episodes um and yeah just to get their perspective on how it all went uh and yeah it will be a you know a more accurate picture for you guys of how all these songs were created so yeah let's get back into the original recording of these episodes On this episode, I'm going to give you guys a personal look into my time with Family of Light Band, a group I poured my blood, sweat, and tears into for six years. Uh, More specifically, in this episode, I'm going to focus on 
our first recording I had a hand in making, the Spear of an Arrow EP. All this information you're about to hear in this episode and subsequent episodes is just from my memory. Uh, I'm not fact-checking anything from the other guys in the band, so some information may be a little off or missing, but I will try my best to represent everything as accurately as possible. In this four-part series, I'm going to walk you guys through all the recordings we put out while I was in the group and talk about experiences that happened along the way. I was with the band from about 2012 to 2018, and we put out two EPs and two full-length albums in that period. The recordings we put out in order are the Spear of an Arrow EP uh, in 2012, the first full-length album Technicolor in Stereo 2013, the second EP Problems with Myself, uh, that was in 2016, and the second full-length album, Tethered, uh, which came out in 2020. Before I dive into the details of all those recordings, uh, I want to give you guys the backstory of how I met the band and how I joined. Uh, 2011, I was deep into the recording sessions of my first solo album, Interest Ellington. I was recording at a friend Matt Rosso's house in Wildemar, California. Matt, on occasion, would uh, invite me to come jam with some friends that were starting bands. One day, uh, he convinced me to come play bass for this group uh, that he was playing keys for. We would practice occasionally, and we agreed to play a gig at this house party that was a few months away. I got the songs down, and I think uh, a week before that, Matt uh, bailed out because he didn't want to jam with those guys anymore because he started jamming with Family of Light. I ended up playing uh, the gig without him, unfortunately, and I quit not much longer after that show. That band later became the band Hello Penelope, a local band that Family of Light would play shows with many times around our hometown. In between that time, I was practicing with those guys for that house party. I was continuing to work on my first solo album. On one of those days, I heard Family of Light was going to record uh, with Matt after my session. I heard of this group on a few other occasions in the past... Uh, the first time I ever heard of the group was from my friend that played bass in the band at the time named Bobby Riddle. I would run into Bobby at his job at a popular sandwich shop near my hometown. The first time I realized he worked there, I was shocked and excited that I ran into him. I hadn't seen him in a while and it was pretty cool. I knew him from days he played with Serena Drive the hardcore screamo band I talk talk about in episode 5, Gibson Praise and Rosita Mai. I would go in there to get something to eat and we would uh, talk about music and catch up. He told me he was playing with this band called Family of Light and he sent me a song. 
they they had recorded called Sun Stranger. I went home and listened to the track, and to my surprise, I really liked what I heard. I thought it was uh, a great song and still think that today. Another funny fact about this time, uh, while I would go into the sandwich shop sometimes, I would see this kind of pissed off looking uh, short-haired Asian dude that would that worked there and uh, I just remember thinking he looked like a dick. <laughs> and I, I kind of even remember trying to talk to him some other time and he just blew me off. Uh, but that Asian dude was Miles Wong, the current bass player for the group. Uh, I remember looking over at him sitting and eating a sandwich on his lunch break and just thinking how he seemed so mad that he worked there. <laughs> uh, I later saw past that rude and tough exterior and saw his more kind and gentler side and we became really good friends. Um, fast forward back to my solo recording session uh, when my path crossed with Family of Light. Uh, I knew they were coming by after my session, so I stuck around to meet the guys in the band. Now, this part I talked about in a previous podcast, so if you've heard it before, I'm sorry, but I'm going to tell the story again for the new listeners. So, they showed up and I met everyone, and they all seemed pretty chill. I knew the drummer from my high school days and from past band experiences that I talk about on episode 5. I met Miles officially and the lead singer Omar. They started loading in equipment and I just kind of sat back and just was a fly on the wall during their session. Uh, They were working on a drum track for the song Amor. The drummer was having a difficult time with the drum track and he re-recorded it many times. At one point I offered to show the drummer how I would play it to see if it would help. Uh, I nailed it the first time and added my own flair to it and they all seemed pretty impressed. Uh, My effort seemed to be in vain though. I just remember it kind of slowed down the process and uh, just because... Now when the drummer got back on the kit, he was trying to duplicate what I did instead of just adding a hint of it into what he was doing already. It just dragged out the process. Uh, Eventually, I think they got the take as close as they could and they wrapped up the session. Later on, uh, at another session for my solo album, Matt told me the guys in the band liked what they heard and they wanted to jam with me. Now, this part was very awkward for me. (laughs) I remember going over to Omar's house for the first time and jamming with him on his electric drum set he had in the garage. Now, at this time, the original drummer was still in the band, and I was basically jamming with his band behind his back. They didn't tell him what was going on, and on this occasion, the band was set to practice after Omar and I jammed. We played for a little while and basically came up with most of the song uh, Spear of an Arrow. If I remember right, the drummer showed up to start loading in his gear for practice while we were jamming. This is like the musician's equivalent of someone cheating and getting caught (laughs) mid-sex. 
he didn't really seem upset um, at all and just continued to load in his gear. Uh, I was kind of relieved, but I knew I had a guilty conscience because uh, I knew what was happening. Um, I think Omar even wanted to show the band what we had been working on in front of him, which was extremely awkward for me, but we did it anyways. I don't remember when it happened exactly, but uh, eventually later on I got the call that they had kicked out the drummer and they wanted me to be the full-time drummer. I was only working on my own solo stuff and it had been some time since I had been in a band and I kind of had the itch to get back into one. I had never been a drummer for a band. I only recorded drums for my own stuff. So it seemed like a new and exciting challenge uh, that I dove headfirst into. It was a pretty crazy time. Uh, I don't think I even had a full drum set yet to work with. I just had my little brother's drum set that had uh, cymbals and stands. I would just borrow pieces of drums uh, that I needed uh, until I was able to buy my own. Over time I started building my own drum set instead of having this Frankenstein hand-me-down kit. I started learning the songs they had and began filling out how we would jam together. It was all very new to me jamming with a full band as a drummer and I admit I felt very un underqualified at first uh, but they all seemed to like what I was doing so I just I must have uh, been decent enough. I just kept trucking along and uh, just hid my insecurities and worked through my flawed drumming. I remember eventually we decided to do a gig. It would be my first time playing live as a drummer. The thought of it terrified me and excited me all at the same time. My first show as a drummer was at Pappy and Harriet's in Pioneer Town, the legendary underground venue in the middle of the desert. If you haven't been there, uh, it's a small biker bar that feels like transporting back into some old old school uh, western movie. There's a bigger outdoor stage where they have their main shows and the smaller indoor stage. Anyways, I'm I'm very proud that this is the first place I ever played drums live. Uh, it's a classic venue and so many amazing bands have played there. One of the most notable people that has played there is Paul McCartney. <clears throat> uh, put a place marker here. I'm going to come back to this point of the conversation because I want to share a story about Paul playing there and my attempt to catch him alive. He did a surprise gig and announced that he would be performing there for free. This was right around the time of the desert trip weekend at the Coachella Fairgrounds where the legends Bob Dylan, Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney, Roger Waters, Neil Young, and The Who shared the stage over the weekend. I heard Paul was throwing his surprise show and immediately played around with the thought of trying to go there to see if I could get in. Now I was already planning on going out to Joshua Tree uh, to work at Desert Days for the first time doing the light show for the bands with Mad Alchemy. 
I'll be doing a whole uh, separate podcast about my experience working at Desert Days for two years in Joshua Tree. I was already planning on going out to Joshua Tree Thursday night to help set up. Um, but once I found out about Paul's free gig, it threw a wrench in my plans. And now instead of easing into the epic weekend, I I would have uh, I would have to rush to pack and try to make it out to Pappy and Harry's in time to be one of the first lucky people that sees them play for free. I kind of dragged my feet at first, just trying to figure out if I could pull it off. But eventually I pulled the trigger and decided to do it. All I knew uh, was that this was going to be one of the most epic weekends of my life. And it was for sure. I eventually got everything I needed uh, into my car and I shot out to the desert. I started getting closer to Pappy and Harriet's and I could just feel the energy radiating from that building. There were cars parked for miles along the road all the way up to the small venue. I had a sinking feeling uh, in the pit of my stomach that I was too late, but I still uh, was going to try my best to get in. I eventually found a place to park and it was surprisingly close to the venue. Uh, I started walking towards the venue and I came across Paul's tour buses. He had six of them. <laughs> I I had never seen someone travel with so many tour buses. After uh, tripping out that I was standing and looking at Paul's tour buses from about 20 feet away, I shook myself out of it and uh, continued to walk to the venue. I ran into the awesome Pappy and Harriet security guard, Big Dave Johnson. That guy's awesome. If you've ever seen him, he's a just this big uh, Santa Claus looking dude that uh, just got this awesome heart. Shout out to Big Dave. I always uh, love talking to that guy when I see him. He saw me and started talking to me. He said, what's up? And I told him I just got there and I was trying to catch Paul. Uh, He just kind of laughed feeling bad for me and said I was way too late. Um, Apparently word spread around locally before everyone else heard about it and so everybody everybody who was able to see the show was already checked in and had wristbands he said i would have had to get there early in the morning to get in so there was basically no hope to get in uh i still looked around to see if i could sneak in somehow but it was useless um I wasn't sure what stage Paul would be playing on, but it turned out he played the smaller indoor stage. I was hoping it would be the outdoor stage because a lot more people could have saw him play live. Um, And unfortunately he didn't. I just gave up and started heading towards desert days. The next week I saw pictures of him playing uh, the smaller stage And it blew me away that I had played drums for the first time feet away from where Paul McCartney performed. It still blows my mind that I played on the same stage as him and so many epic bands. Alright, now back to that place marker when I was talking about the first show there. 
So on the way to the venue, I was filled with nerves and excitement, knowing this would be my first time playing drums ever live. We got to the venue and walked around and went in through the back entrance where bands load in. And I just soaked in the fact that I was about to play this awesome venue. Later, we had our gear outside of the back entrance um, because we were about to go on. Right before we were about to load in, I panicked because uh, I realized I didn't have my snare drum. I sent one of our friends to the car to go grab it, and luckily he got it just in time before we started to play. That didn't help with my nerves, though. (laughs) It it just kind of freaked me out uh, even more, if anything. At uh, another show later, I, I even totally forgot my snare stand and I played half the show with my snare leaning up against my le- my uh, left leg until someone let me borrow one. <laughs> now that was really uh, nerve-wracking for sure. That is not a fun way to play drums live. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I kind of made it work. Anyways, back to the Pappy and Harriet's gig. We overcrowded that uh, small stage being a six-piece band with all this equipment. And I found out later that it was an open mic, too. (laughs) Only solo acoustic acts were supposed to be playing, but they made an exception for us. And we uh, set up our full setup on that tiny stage to play three songs. (laughs) And it took forever for us to set up and break down, too. So I was surprised they were cool with that. But, uh, yeah, there was nothing acoustic about that setup. (laughs) Uh, We got through all our three songs. And I remember feeling super nervous almost the entire time. Being a drummer is so much different when you play live and you feel a lot more pressure because any mess up you do is very noticeable. Yeah, it just makes me appreciate the hell out of drummers. Like, <laughs> you you just don't know what it's like till you do it. But, yeah, when you're a guitarist, uh, you can usually hide mess ups under all that sound. Uh, but when you're a drummer, there's nothing else in the band that sounds like that. So you're under the spotlight pretty much from start to finish. We had a decent response from the crowd and the sound guy loved us. Um, He got some rough songs we recorded and played them on the local radio station that he DJs. Overall, it was a successful experience. Later on, we started getting to the point where we had a decent amount of songs and we wanted to record our first legit EP. We wanted to get our own computer uh, for the band to record, and so we all pitched in. Uh, Bobby and Miles came up with the idea of building our own computer tower, so yeah, we all pitched in and bought the parts we needed, and they built it. Eventually that tower crashed and was never fixed, uh, which made throwing in for that computer a total waste. (laughs) Uh, I think we ended up using Miles' uh, computer 
his personal computer and uh, we started recording in Omar's garage and those songs ultimately became the Spear of an Arrow EP. So yeah, let's uh, dive into that three song EP. It was uh, released sometime in 2012. Um, it was mixed and mastered by Cody Van Hoosen at Aletheia Music in Hemet, California. He was a teenage friend of mine uh, from the years of hardcore and screamo music I was in. <laughs> uh, and uh, he is in a band right now called uh, Particles Like Planets. Here's who is on the EP and who played what. Miles Wong, guitar. Matt Rozo, keys, guitar, and backing vocals. Omar Medina, vocals and guitar. Bobby Riddle, bass, and myself on drums and backing vocals. The first song on the EP is Easier Said Than Done. Check it out.
So this is the only song on the EP that we made a music video for. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, go check it out when you get the chance. Um, at this time, it looks like it had almost 3,000 views. So yeah, not too shabby. Um, it was directed and edited by Omar's cousin, Rene Morillo. I think I said that right. If I messed that up, sorry. <laughs> uh, anyways, it was all filmed on uh, an iPhone in Omar's garage in Hemet, California, where we practice most of the time. A band friend named Eli Motse, who owns the clothing company Tobacco Road, provided some costume work for us and put some vintage Indian jewelry and headbands on us. Uh, he's on Instagram. Uh, if you want to check out his stuff, go look him up. <clears throat> I don't really have any memories of recording these songs because usually recording is a pretty boring black and white experience. Um, but I do remember filming the music video for the most part. Omar's younger brother Christian was kind of into DJ equipment and he has some stage lights and a fog machine that we used for the video. It's funny to watch the video now <laughs> and, and to see Miles struggling uh, to keep his composure while we are doing that side-by-side -side group shot. You could tell when the camera and the fog machine get to him, he doesn't like it in his face. <laughs> He's just, like, trying to get away from it, but, yeah, it's funny. Uh, we got all these handful of uh, shots of us playing along with the song individually as a band. A little footage of us hiking to the top of a hill, uh, sitting around a campfire, and some other random shots Renee added in post. We eventually did this one weird culty feeling shot where we all sat Indian style in a circle and held hands while we sang the harmony uh, part of the song. Renee sat on a stool in the center and spun around to capture the shot. I just remember feeling like really weird about the shot uh, while we were doing it. Uh, it. It was a really brief scene in the video but it did add a nice little touch. Um, I was sporting the the old short comb over hair and a stash and soul patch combo. <laughs> um, hearing and uh, watching the video now brings back uh, so many memories of simpler times. Uh, looking back now, we were all so green and we had no idea of what was to come, especially me. Listening now to the quality of the songs, uh, it still holds up. It's pretty solid for being... Recorded in a garage. Um, my drums sound pretty fat and everything sounds pretty balanced. Uh, I played with two different drumsticks on this song. Uh, in my right hand I had a mallet and in my left I had a regular drumstick. A mallet has a soft cotton-like tip uh, that deadens the sound. So, um, so when I hit the cymbal it would uh, add a nice washed out cymbal sound. I do cringe a bit every time I hear the drums on that song, <laughs> uh, just because I, I do mess up a tiny bit at some point in the song, and I wish we fixed that. <clears throat> but alas, it is set in stone now. There's nothing I could do. <laughs> uh, I doubt most people can hear it, but I hear it every time. 
these songs are the result of us messing around together in this new lineup for a handful of months. Not bad for the first handful of songs we came up with, I would say. Um, except for the song Spear of an Arrow. That song, <laughs> that song came out of left field. I'll talk about that song uh, a bit more in a second. <clears throat> I remember uh, I was pretty influenced by the drummer at the time for Fleet Foxes, Josh Tillman, who goes by Father John Misty now. I loved I loved the way his uh, beats were with Fleet Foxes, and I remember specifically trying to channel that sound for this song. As far as band influences we had at the time, I remember we we all pretty much were influenced by Fleet Foxes, obviously, but also Radiohead, The Growlers, Sleepy Sun, Yaysayer, Mars Volta the Black Angels, and more. Those are just a few ones that come to mind first. Easier Said Than Done was always a pretty fun song to play live, and people seem to like it. I still love the bridge when the song changes towards the end. It still gives me chills when I hear it today. I'm kind of foggy on the song's meaning. Omar wrote the lyrics, and I remember... I think I talked to him about it one time, and I think it had something to do with healing after a broken relationship. He has a similar uh, lyric writing style that I have. Um, He kind of writes lyrics that make sense to him um, and to outside listeners. It doesn't make a lot of sense and seems kind of random and abstract, which makes it open to interpretation. I do the same thing a lot on my songs for sure, so I get it. Um, Anyways, that's basically most of what I remember for Easier Said Than Done. I'm sure I'm probably forgetting some things, but uh, we're moving on anyways. (laughs) So song two, uh, Twisted Vines. Check it out.
yeah twisted vines i love to play that song live um it was a fun song to play on drums for sure i always love those double time parts where it switches from those mellow laid back swinging parts on the toms to that fast paced hi-hat focused part flipping the time on a dime was something these guys introduced to me um, I never really did it much on my own songwriting, and it's a cool technique to use to perk people's ears up. This is my favorite song on the EP for sure. Uh, now, these songs on the EP are not available um, at this moment in time um, on any music streaming platform except for probably SoundCloud. You can find them on YouTube, though. I searched for this song and I found out that some random dude in like Sweden or something had posted it on his account and it has like 2,000 something views. (laughs) I thought that was pretty crazy and funny. Um, A former bandmate in uh, Family of Light, um, Keith Seraphim, I think is his last name, he, um, he made some collage music videos for this song and Uh, Those are on YouTube as well. Uh, We had nothing to do with those videos. Uh, He just kind of made them on his own. Uh, This is another song where I'm not really sure what the meaning of the lyrics are. Uh, It probably has something to do with getting caught up in cheating or something. Omar was coming off a horrific divorce and almost all his lyrics were about that relationship. But... Looking back, uh, this song was kind of uh, the start of something bad that would be a thorn in my side uh, when it comes to recording with the band. Omar loves to sing in falsetto, uh, probably because he is influenced by Tom York uh, from Radiohead and he tries to duplicate that sound. Now, I, I don't mean to talk shit here, but I... I just want to speak my mind about how I felt about things. Um, I never really liked when he sang in falsetto, honestly. Um, Personally, I think he sounds a lot better when he sings in a tenor and low soprano register. Um, That just seems like his sweet spot. I'm the type of guy that thinks it's better to record things the way they are, and it's better not to add too much to the recording. basically only adding things that can be duplicated while playing live. Omar didn't really agree with that thinking and thought it's better to just add as much studio magic as you want. And I don't really like that way of thinking. The The reason I don't like that is because people will hear those recordings and expect to hear that when they go to see you live. If you don't have the capabilities of duplicating those sounds you make in the studio, then People will think the band sounds like shit live. Um, I've felt that way with bands I've seen in, uh, live before. I hear their recordings and then I go to see them live and they sound nothing like the recording. And it sucks to hear. It just makes the band seem fake and and uh, my respect for the band drops immensely every time. Um, adding a bunch of studio magic is okay if uh, you're a big band that has uh, top-of-the-line gear and people behind the scenes that can make it happen. But 
if not, you're just faking it till you make it. And honestly, I hate that saying. <laughs> I'd rather just be genuine from the start, you know, uh, and just being real with everything you do. Uh, this was definitely a reason why I eventually left the band, but it was an accumulation of things, really. I'll get into that later. Um, let me give you a tip. Uh, you can take it or leave it, but if you're getting into recording music and you're thinking about spending money to go into a professional studio, uh, make sure you have your parts down. If you don't, uh, you will just waste so much money trying to get it right in the studio. The best way to do it is to have some sort of way to record your song on your own. Preferably track by track, uh, so you could really get into the details of each part. You could spend uh, as much time as you want recording it at home. Trust me, it will save everyone a headache too. Once you feel good with it, uh, you could go into the studio and knock it out in a take or two. <clears throat> the only one that likes to redo parts repeatedly is the studio engineer. He's laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> I swear we probably put the entire bill of a whole kitchen remodel for the studio engineer that recorded the album Technicolor and Stereo. I bust out all the drum parts in half a day's time, a full 11 songs. I got most of the songs down in the first take, maybe three takes tops. When I get in the studio, I try to be as professional as possible and just not waste anybody's time and honestly that is the best way to do things i've been in too many bands where they just go in there and they're like oh i don't know i'll just kind of figure it out when i get there but no <laughs> you're just wasting everybody's time and money so stop doing that <laughs> let's move on to the next song the last song on this ep and wrap up this episode Track three, Spear of an Arrow. Take a listen.
Yeah, Spear of an Arrow. Uh, my least favorite song on the EP. In my opinion, I think this song shouldn't have even been on the EP. Uh, it should have just been the first two songs, and this song should have just been a B-side that shouldn't have really seen the light of day. Um, so, yeah, like I said, uh, this was the first song that we ever wrote together in the new lineup. I remember uh, Omar and I having a conversation about making a sellout song to just make it big off some shitty pop song, and that is what we came out with. (laughs) It obviously didn't uh, get us much recognition, Uh, although I remember giving this EP out to people and chicks seemed to love the song, probably because it had a dance beat to it. Um, but yeah, anyways, this is, uh, another song I have no idea what the lyrics are about. Um, uh, it's unfortunate too that the first copies we printed of this EP had this song as the first track. We, <laughs> we accidentally set in the order like that, but we just had to live with it. So anytime we sold or gave away those EPs, we were giving people a false interpretation of our sound which is terrible. <laughs> I wish we never did that, but uh, yeah, we probably turned a lot of people away from our sound with that mistake, but you live and learn. Gotta make mistakes to learn, right? Uh, the song has its moments uh, that sound kind of catchy, though. I catch myself bobbing my head to the beat sometimes when I hear it. The song has my first solo vocal appearance with the band, uh, it's really short, but I just do the call and response part uh, when you hear Omar uh, sing Spear of an Arrow. I just repeat what he sings, and then he sings it again with the delay on the word arrow. I do uh, backup vocals in the other songs too but it's just kind of more blended in with everybody else's backing vocal the cp was a massive learning lesson um we learned a lot about our styles and how we could blend them together to try to make a unique sound we would come back stronger and better than ever on our next attempt i'll be doing the next episode on that I look forward to sharing the details about that recording. Our sound definitely matures on that album. All right, well, that will do it. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and learned a bit more about my uh, introduction to Family of Light. Join me next time for Lava Wall Podcasts, Episode 7, Family of Light Band Part 2, Technicolor and Stereo. Uh, Follow me on uh, Instagram, james.sterling.cooper. I'm also on Twitter. Um, But yeah, talk to you guys next time. Stay well. Ciao.